0: Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The rumours are ranking up, the Bengals are on the clock, and there's a weekend of picking coming up. My name is Cameron Hobbs.
1: And my name is Paul Mitchell. There's been a lot said about the quarterbacks and the deep wide receiver talent this year, but tonight we'll be looking a little deeper.
0: Yes, we'll get to Burrow, Tua, Judy and Lamb, but we need to remember there's seven rounds of picking and plenty of talent available at all of the positions.
1: So, talking of talent being available, we're joined by two of the NFL Scotland team. Ian Stephen and Gordon McGuinness are here to share their thoughts. Gentlemen, welcome back.
2: Morning.
0: (laughs) Good (laughs) evening. I I think you implied there that they were seventh-round picks, Paul.
1: That's not what I said, but never mind. But <laughs> we'll we'll fall we'll out about that a little bit later, because one of the things I was going to say is there's sometimes value to be had. So before the guys uh, reveal where they think the value is. I, I was having a look back. There were some picks last year that got people excited uh, given the depth of them. So 103, Hakeem Butler was picked as a wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, he spent the season on injured reserve. He broke his hand. Uh, there was a lot of excitement about cornerback uh, Falcons, Jordan Miller, for his athleticism. Taken in the fifth round, pick 172. He ended the season getting suspended due to performance enhancing drugs. And running back Mike Weber was taken at position 218. He 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 was a running back, spent the season on the practice squad with the Dallas Cowboys. Then on January 8th, went to the Kansas City Chiefs and was around. He didn't play when they won the Super Bowl. And he's been re-signed by them for this season. So sometimes there is talent out there deep, deep down in the draft. Terry McLaughlin, Darius Slayton, uh, 76 and 171 respectively uh, to the top five yardage people. So there is value to be found in and around the draft. We'll go to you, Gordon, first of all. I mean, some of the positions are seen as unsexy, but I guess you've really got to draft where your needs are.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think... The other thing is if you look at the the first round in the draft as where you you know you have to draft really valuable positions. You're if you want a franchise quarterback, he almost definitely has to come from the first round because you know it's like once every twenty years that a Tom Brady falls to the sixth round. Um, then once you get into like the second, third, fourth round, that's where you can start to find uh starters like your offensive line, especially your interior offensive line, um, and really start to fill out your roster. And as much as the top round is gonna be, you know, where you make all the headlines, you're really gonna
1: make up the bulk of your roster
3: from, you know, two, three, four, and five.
1: So in terms of hitting, Gordon, I mean everybody has to hit their first round pick. If you're a GM and you get your first round pick wrong, say twice in two years, you're you're out of job. And sometimes the, the, the lower down, but they also get quite well examined. I mean, you can't miss really in rounds two, three, and four an awful lot.
3: Yeah, and I think I think that goes back to as well making sure that you draft the right positions um, because the, probably the biggest thing that general managers make a mistake on is the fact that people think they are good at um, scouting players and they're you know they, they are the best person to scout players and they they know players better than anyone else. And if you look throughout the NFL, Bill Belichick, you know, Aussie Newsom with the Ravens, uh, players, people who will go into the Hall of Fame have some horrible misses um, throughout their time. So what you want to do in round one is make sure you get your quarterbacks, your wide receivers, cornerbacks as well. Um, And then, you know, that gives you a better chance. If you can hit on those players at the top, it means that in round two you can fill out the the bigger positions. But yeah, I mean, if you go two, three years um, and, you know, you're a little bit unlucky with injuries from the players you draft or the players you draft just don't work out, you're probably looking at a new job.
1: Yeah, and that's unfortunate. I mean, Ian, some of the, the unsexy positions, w- what would you class as the unsexy draft positions?
2: Um, punter kicker, long snapper, <laughs> uh, safety, middle linebacker, centre guard. Those are probably the, the guys that are going to take up the least amount of cap room. going to be guys that are going to be looked at further down, the, the draft board but one thing you have to remember you've got 11 guys in offence you've got 11 guys in defence but you've also got 11 guys in special teams and it's it's further down the draft that these special teams players are picked a lot of times you'll get guys that are drafted for special teams as a wide receiver or as a safety and they play well enough, they actually push themselves into the active rosters and offence or defence but it's, it's important for when scouting when you're going from rounds three through to seven can these guys play special teams because it's a valuable part of the game and they are incredibly needed
1: cameron in terms of what ian's just said i mean the special teams is interesting i think that's what keeps my interest in the draft all the way through to the the later rounds the round six round seven because you're you know they're looking at a different skill set
0: yeah, absolutely. And it, I always think the skilled players uh, in that position, both on, on both sides of the ball as well, because when it comes to special teams, you can have a cornerback out there alongside your wide receivers and so on. Um, I, uh, For me, I always think the later rounds are most fascinating because you get a little bit of acknowledgement to each of these players. And it's more likely going to be guys that, certainly I watch a little bit of college football, I don't know nearly enough to go deep down into the draft board and, and be able to rattle off players. That's why we've got two people that know this stuff on this podcast Um, but you know for me I love the fact that they get a little bit of attention uh, as you go through you find out what their their capabilities are and it tends to be as well and guys you can correct me if you think I'm wrong but it it tends to be that the deeper down you go you'll you'll get a player that's maybe got one or two sort of mega strong attributes but perhaps is lacking the full distribution of skill set experience and game time to be able to prove that they can do it game in game out um and i think that's fascinating because what you're doing there is you're picking up a player who you're going to try and develop over a couple of years to see if he can turn his speed for example into a safe pair of hands as a wide receiver and be able to stick to his route running uh, get separation away from cornerbacks as a cornerback you're looking for a guy who's got the pace that can then stick to his man can figure out and start to read and start to understand the game uh, and see it develop in front of him where perhaps he didn't get a lot of game time in college the opportunities to then go and learn from the best coaches in the country and hopefully develop into the player that they're, they're set to be. The thing as well with me that I always get with the draft is the, the wide ranging ages that you get into this as well. I mean, there's players as young as 20 year old coming into this. You, you know, it's very harsh to be able to say to a guy who's 20, oh, you, you know what, you're good at a couple of things, but you're not good at the rest. There's so much development opportunity there. And, and that's where some of these guys deeper down tend to come from. Plus, you've also got that old Brady thing where Brady was taken 199 and good God, do we, have we ever heard the end of it. But, you know, because of that, a player that's taken further down the draft will always have a bit of a, oh, he could turn out to be something purely because somebody before him did the exact same thing. And I think that's the great thing about the NFL. They do actually come in with a very positive approach uh, and the opportunity to to learn and develop.
1: Gordon, one of the things that people ask me, you know, somebody said, well, if he's a second round draft pick or a third round draft pick, what does it matter? But that label stays with you your whole NFL career. Yeah, I mean, you just need to look at um, even for future job prospects.
3: If you're, if you don't work out as a starter in the NFL, um, you're more likely to stick around as a backup quarterback. If you've been um, a first-round pick, you know, Blaine Gabbert has stuck around in the NFL as a backup quarterback for years, um, despite the fact that you know really was never a starting caliber quarterback. Um, even for things like the offensive line. There's a whole load of players who, if you get drafted in the first round, you're going to last a lot longer. Your chance on making the Pro Bowl significantly goes up. There was a study I saw done based on um, if you are a first-round draft pick, odds are when it get, comes down to your second contract – they're having to pay you more, whereas if you're a second or third round guy, you're looking for that early payday because you've been on a lot less, so you're more likely to take a cheaper extension. So all those things come into, uh, come into it, and I think you know long term you're going to make a lot less money um, if you wind up being a
1: later round pick. And Ian, one of the things that I find interesting that there was a note t- today came out, I think it was NFL Research, how hard is it to draft a rookie Pro Bowler? So in the last 10 years, 2,554 players were drafted, 46 rookies in that time, so that's 1.8% made it to the Pro Bowl. There is talent there, but you are also trying to convince people that you're investing for the future of your franchise.
2: Is that, Um, rookies making it into the Pro Bowl in their rookie year.
1: It is, yes, in their rookie year. So shining from day one, basically. So that's 46 players out of the 2,554 players drafted made it into the Pro Bowl in year one.
2: I don't think that's surprising because the the mental jump from college into uh, the NFL is is huge. And a lot of players can get quite... uh, confounded by everything that's that's going on and you, you also factor in they don't really get a break, they're going straight from finishing the college season through the senior bowl, prepping for the combine and then they go straight into rookie OTAs so a lot of them are actually quite fatigued by the time that they, they get there. You're also factoring in when they're making the Pro Bowl, how much of it is because of the hype that's came around them entering the NFL rather than them actually producing in their rookie season? Have they gone to a team like the Cowboys where they've got most fans and the players are the, the fans are always going to vote for them? Um and a lot of it also factors down to injury, um, opportunity, coaching. It's um it's probably not that that kind of um, shocking, but it'd be interesting to see once they start actually identifying it, going through maybe year four, year five, and then seeing how many players are actually moving into being an all-pro rather than a Pro Bowl player, where it's more popularity rather than actual um, ability.
1: So Cameron, in terms of teams preparing for the draft, now a lot of our, our listeners will be quite familiar, but there'll be some that won't be with the draft process. So basically, depending on where you finished last year in the standing, so Cincinnati were the worst team, they get the first pick, Washington the second pick, Detroit the third. You can trade your picks away, down, because first round picks at the top are worth an awful lot more, but you have your draft board. It means you're looking at hundreds of players potentially, some of whom you've probably got very little chance of actually drafting.
0: Yeah, and you've still got to do your research for them because every now and then something weird happens and a player manages to plummet down the board and you end up with a situation. So probably the one that really sticks to mind more recently is Nick Chubb. Uh, The Browns managed to get him much later on than he had been projected to go at one point. And I think, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was predominantly down to the injury that he suffered. Um, while I was at Georgia, and that was uh, a question mark over him. Uh, the Browns went and got him, and what a great running back he's turned out to be because he's not had the problems that have come from the injury. And, you know, with that, there's right away conversations that you start to look at this year, and we'll, you know, we'll go into more depth on it probably in the next podcast about some of the guys higher up. But Tua, you know, he's a player that everybody's been talking about for so long, currently injured. With the current climate as well, the injuries come into play probably even more because the general managers aren't able to get those face-to-face times. They're not necessarily able to put them through the the, the rigor that they might want to put them through to see how the injuries are holding, uh, holding up. Um, it's, it's added an asterisk and a question mark around anybody that's coming into this draft with any kind of historical injury or even carrying a slight knock at the moment. That's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I think that's going to be the opportunity for teams to do their research, roll the dice on someone that's maybe carrying a knock and pick up someone who could have been a first or second draft much later in the draft.
1: So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you one theoretical question, then I want to actually get on to some names. So I've mentioned there that teams could trade up. So I want your reaction to this. I'm the GM of New England. I'm picking at 23. I'm going to trade with the New York Giants at four and I'm going to pick up two Tagliavole at four ahead of Miami. Can you see something as sensational as that happening? He is the best quarterback in the draft. I don't care what people say. If you look at his measurables, if he was fit, he'd go ahead of Joe Burrow. So, I mean, I I don't necessarily agree that he, he would
3: go ahead of Burrow because Burrow's season was phenomenal. But if you imagine... You know, they, them going up to, to go and get to a... I'm not even sure they're going to have to go up as high as four because
1: I think there's a good chance he's going to slip down. But Do you not think I, Miami would take, take him at five? That That's why I put him that high up. Well, I'm not saying they will, but if if he's your guy... Now, from what all I've read, Gordon, and you'll you have done more research than me, people say that... You know, Heisman winner, he, he's had that terrible injury. If he didn't have that terrible injury, the suggestion is that his ceiling is so much higher than than Joe Burrow.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's his college career before the injury was uh, was phenomenal. The, the interesting thing with Miami is the story continues to be that they are really enamored with Justin Herbert from Oregon, which... I mean, the idea that he would go ahead of Tua is mind-blowing to me because they're just on different levels as quarterbacks. Um, But you imagine if the Patriots can go from Tom Brady, uh, lose him... You wait on in his career, and you know, go up and get to a Tagovailoa um, at the top of the draft. You know, somewhere it might not need to be as high as four, but they're probably going to have to get up somewhere around about the top ten if he does start to slip. You know, to go from a twenty-year dynasty with Brady to giving yourself the opportunity to do that again would be probably the most Bill Belichick thing of all time.
1: Yeah, I guess. See, and that's what I was thinking. It is very Bill Belichickian, if if that's the correct word. And in New England, have got. I guess the time on their side given the fact they've had such a winning run that they could try something like this.
2: I mean you wouldn't put it past them but you're probably looking at um swapping first round picks second and third this year and maybe a first and a further a, a first and a fourth next year for the patriots to give up which I mean it's a big draft haul. Um New York have probably got to want to, to do that as part of the trade? Do they want to slip all the way down to twenty-one when they're sitting in fourth and they can pick up somebody that's blue chip? And you've got Miami, Los Angeles, possibly Carolina, Jacksonville, all of them have they would sniff around um a quarterback. Tampa Bay as well, maybe. Um and then you might have a team that throws a, a curveball. Maybe somebody like Atlanta might think that um, Matt Ryan's getting on a bit. They might want to bring somebody in as a backup. Maybe Dallas don't think they can get Dak signed to a large extension. Um, Miami have got two picks in the first round. They can... Um, jump up if, if they have to as well if they want to go up to where Detroit are so it'd be interesting I agree with George, um, Gordon though I do I do think there's a, a risk of Tua slipping because of the hip injury because of the wonderlick coming out because of the buzz now where Herbert and possibly even Jordan Love's been uh, receiving but we you don't know how much that's um, part of the whole draft espionage process
1: <laughs> that That's a great description. We're, we're going to go into more detail of how we think round one's going to go uh, with Charles and Jamie later in the week. But for now, Gordon, w- where's the value going to come from? You know, where are we going to see the first sort of steal of the draft, do you think?
3: I think there's two there's two positions or two position groups that I think you can find a lot of value. I'm not going to steal from Ian because I think he's probably going to want to talk about the big guys up front, the offensive line. I think the really interesting storyline in the first, well, the later first round and the second round is going to be how people sort through the second group of wide receivers. So, yeah, the top guys everyone knows is about Jerry, Judy, CeeDee Lamb and Henry Ruggs. But after that, it becomes a group of guys who it really depends what you're looking for and the type of wide receiver. You've got a guy like Loviska Chenault from Colorado who... um, one of our guys at PFF said his best athletic comparison is Saquon Barkley. He just plays a different position. He's someone that's built very much um, like a strong lower body. He's able to break tackles really easily. A guy that you just want to get the ball to in the open field. And then you've got a guy, two guys like Jalen Rager um, from TCU and Denzel Mims from Baylor who are guys who have a, a ton of speed behind them and can cause serious problems downfield. And then you go to a guy like T. Higgins from Clemson, who's more of like an A.J. Green light type player that, you know, his height's a big advantage for him. He's not, he he doesn't look like he's going to threaten to be an absolute dominant receiver in the NFL, but has the size that can be a serious matchup problem. Um, And there's even more guys than that. It becomes such an interesting class. I saw rumors that, you know, there are, head head people both at NFL teams and in the media that think you could wind up easily having like 20 wide receivers go in the top four rounds and things like that. So it's really interesting to see how that how that second group is going to start to be staggered. And I think also which teams start to draft them, because there's a very good chance the top three guys are all off the board by 15 at the latest. And then you have teams like Philadelphia, potentially Baltimore at 28, um, the Jaguars in, in the 20s with their second pick. whole bunch of teams that it's going to be interesting to see what they want out of a wide receiver.
1: It's interesting. At a couple of NFL Scotland events, we did these videos that showed, you know, made-up names being announced for teams, and LaVisca Chenault, I think, might make that, especially as he's LaVisca Chenault Jr. as well. Ian, where's the beef? Where where are the big guys going to come around?
2: It looks like there's going to be a, a run in offensive tackles, uh, 10 through 20, uh, possibly, and... Um, the the kind of there's two kind of standout players, Tristan Wurst out of Iowa, who might be best being kicked inside as a, a guard, and then Jedrick Wills as a right tackle coming out of Alabama. But those two positions aren't key positions for franchises. A, a guard and a, a right tackle, they're not coveted to uh, as much as a, a a blue chip left tackle to. Keep your quarterback healthy. You've got guys like Andrew Thomas, Mickey Becton, who's huge at 6'7", 360, Josh Jones and Austin Jackson coming off the board as well. But the key is, I think, for general managers, have they fallen in love with some of these guys? It's possible you're either going to see a big run on them early or the... GMs might think, well, there's there's a few of them. I can pick somebody up in the second round, the first round, and players start to get selected a bit earlier in the first round than expected. Potentially, a a middle linebacker. You've got a couple of good players, a middle linebacker, and Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen. They might go earlier than is expected in the board. So it's quite interesting to see how that shapes out as well. There's there's also quite a lot of um, left tackles further down the board but I'm wondering how many of them might actually get shunted inside to play um, guard as well and they can end up, quite a lot of times you can have a player projected as a tackle saying well his arms are maybe a bit too short he's maybe not as le- of as, as athletic as we want him so he's not that great a tackle but you kick him into guard and he can end up being a pro Bowl player one player that springs to mind there, Robert Hunt out of Louisiana, who was left tackle at Louisiana, but he might get shunted into to guard in the NFL. And there's a lot of talk about him having the technique that he might one day be a Pro Bowl player at guard.
1: See, that's interesting. Cameron, I sometimes wonder about players, and he makes a good point. Sometimes you've got to be convinced that the team that is drafting you, if they're not planning to use you where you want to be, they've got to sell you on that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's it's something that you've seen a lot, perhaps most famously, uh, in recent times with Lamar Jackson, where there was so many conversations about him playing as a running back wide receiver. Uh, he stuck to his guns. He was asked to do multiple things in the pro days and things like that, and he refused to do it because he saw himself as a quarterback. It's a difficult one because, you know what, are you, are you going to turn down the opportunity to play just because it's not necessarily the position that you want to play in? I guess a large part of that's going to come down to the franchise that you go to, though. You know, at this time, it's very easy easy if it's somebody, one of the big guns that's going to come and pick you and you know that you're going to land in a really good spot then fantastic. You know there's been so many, there's so much rumour about Joe Burrow, well again we'll talk about more tomorrow's podcast but um, you know there's been chat about, you know, he doesn't want to go to the Bengals even though that's his closest team from where he grew up. It's There's things like that We there's the famous case with Eli Manning of course who refused to go um, and 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 John Elway Yeah, and John Elway. Um, So it's, you know, players have done that. It's rare. And it certainly sets a dangerous precedent. And I guess at the moment, uh, any job's a good job, um, even if it's not necessarily the job that you want. Plus, as well, you see, if you stick around the team long enough and if you've got the skill set that's going to get you into a particular position, you'll end up in that position. The only reason you won't is if the guy that's in it is better than you. And therefore, you've just got to you know, you got to be the next man up. You've got to take the position that you've got. You've got to play what you can do. You've got to adjust yourself. Now's the time in your life to be adjusting yourself. Not at the age of 42 trying to learn a new playbook for the first time in 20 years. Um, but when you're young, go into a new place with new coaches um, and, and do your damned best. I guess the other challenge think- to this as well, though, is going to be that God knows when they're going to get together and actually start coaching on this stuff. So these players could be being asked to do it in very short notice and you might see a couple of guys struggle with it. Uh, So that'll be an interesting story to develop as well.
1: It's unusual on the NFL Scotland podcast that I'm not the first person to have a go at Tampa Bay, so well done, Cameron. (laughs) Ian?
2: And and, and when talking about Burrow and and whether he wants to go there or not, what you have to remember is maybe 20 years ago you had five franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. Now you've got so many franchise quarterbacks. You have Cam Newton and... um, uh, I have forgot his name James Winston um I was going to call him Winston, Winston Justice there James Winston don't have any team they're sitting there as free agents 20 years ago um James would have been snapped up immediately um uh, so that, that's always a risk that if 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 you're saying well I don't want to play what happens if um the 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 Bengals just say right we'll sign Cam Newton for a, a year next year we'll have the first round pick again we'll pick Trevor Lawrence
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. You've got to be very, very careful. I'm wondering, Gordon, though, how players are evaluated has changed. I mean, if you're evaluating Tim Tebow now, given the success of Lamar Jackson, et cetera, et cetera, he'd be evaluated differently also with Taysom Hill than he was coming out of college in the first place. Yeah, and I think probably the best comparison for Tebow in this draft is a
3: guy like um, Jalen Hurts from Alabama who you know, is not the best passer in the world, but can do a lot of things on the ground. And I think NFL teams are, you know, offenses are now becoming a bit more spread and a bit more um, about putting players into space. Uh, and that can even happen at the quarterback position.
2: Well, do, you, do you know why, why that's becoming such a factor now? Because teams have focused so much on having middle linebackers that can cover. They don't have middle linebackers that can thump. And if you've got a, a, a quarterback who's as fast as and bigger than your middle linebacker, then you've immediately got an advantage because if your quarterback's a the runner, there's an extra blocker in there somewhere, and all of a sudden he becomes an incredibly dangerous threat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I quite like in terms of the quarterbacks, Jordan Love at Utah State, but we, we won't talk about the, the glamour position. So, Gordon, you you know, you mentioned where where value for money might be had. What is it with running backs at the moment that that they're just not seen as sexy?
3: The NFL's finally catching up to um, what everyone's known for, for the last few years. That There's just, that there's not, you don't need to pay a running back. And it's, it's horrible for them because there's guys that, you know, take 300 carries, 300 hits a season. And, you know, it's a position that's short-lived. But when you look at the NFL these days, what drives yards per carry more is run blocking and how many defensive players are lined up in the box at the start. So a lot more NFL teams are becoming smarter and smarter at understanding where they need to spend their money um, as they as they build a roster in the salary cap era. And unfortunately for running backs, that's a position that on offense and defense anyway is fast becoming a position
1: that so many teams just aren't willing to spend on. Yeah, Cameron, it's been interesting. I've been reading some stuff on the Saints boards. Uh, Kamara's going into his last year and some are saying, well, just dump them, trade them, and, and pick up somebody else. You know, you're you're talking a top quality running back, and it's almost like, yeah, just just get rid of him, move him on, pick up some fresh meat somewhere.
0: I wonder how much of that comes from Christian McCaffrey as well, though, because uh, there was obviously a slide in Kamara's season last year for one reason or another. It just didn't work as well for him. You look at the impact that McCaffrey's had, and suddenly people are going, "Oh, we thought this guy was great, but look at Christian McCaffrey. He's a unique." individual who's and, and and coming back to Gordon's point I there's almost part of the the guessing game with Christian McCaffrey is how long's he going to play in the NFL because he gets absolutely pounded on um and he touches the ball every single time just about um it, I can understand it and you see we'll probably cover this in the news but the the Jacksonville Jaguars doing their very best to try and shop Leonard Fournette and nobody wanting him because that's a lot of money that they're going to have to pay him. Uh, the other end to that is, you know, the 49ers are still snapping up these young players um, and retaining them uh, for another season and in what's a very complicated and busy backfield uh, for them. But it's because the cost of these players right now is not massively high and it gives them another year to figure out which ones they want to take forward. There's no way in a year's time that running back committee will still be there because some of them will be able to go and demand some money because someone will be desperate to give them the money to come and play for them. So it's it's a fascinating position. They, they so own- I, think, I think if you want to talk about Leonard Fournette as well, I think
3: you have to give him his full name, which is Leonard the Jaguars passed on Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes for... <laughs> For net,
1: <laughs> the draft is an unforgiving place if you think i mean russell wilson was a third round pick richard sherman was a fifth round pick in recent times so you know people do slip through the net so somebody like uh, so running back zach moss out of utah who didn't have a particularly good scouting combine uh he apparently injured himself when he was doing i think the big uh, vertical jump thing where they hit the the various racks out did he hit his uh, so head he on it yeah, well, he, he didn't have a good time of it anyway. Now, they reckon if he'd had a pro day, uh, that might have helped him. He's got good ball security. He's 5'9, two, two, He makes people miss tackles. But goodness knows, I mean, he could go as late as the fourth or fifth round. Yet, he could be a, a serviceable, functionable, you know, second choice running back for just about anybody.
2: When it, when it comes to. to- running backs, especially from second round onwards, the the critical factor that the GMs and scouts look at is will he get my quarterback killed? (laughs) And and if he shows he's got the ability to not only um, pass block, but also recognise who he has to pass block, that's going to shoot them way up the boards when it comes to drafting players. Gordon made a really good point in that a lot of running plays are now simply take what you're given from your run blocking and change your first and ten into a second and seven. And then you can work on that. Then it's the passing game that becomes involved. It's um, Once you get down into players like Zach Moss who don't have that Saquon Barkley blistering speed to run away 80 yard touchdown the, 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 the meat the meet and to edge for them is how they block in the, the passing game and how they can be trusted by their coaching staffs
1: and I guess you know that's where Gordon you know these guys that do the evaluations they've got to watch a lot of tape and and watch it in great detail to 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 pick up the points that Ian makes you've got to see what these guys do when they're not being handed the ball
3: yeah you have to look at all the little things and one of the toughest things about player evaluation both at running back and other positions is that a lot of times you're having to try and reconcile the difference between what a player does on the field in college and what they can do um, in the NFL. You look at the running back position and a guy like Alvin Kamara um, now would surely go in, if not the first round, the second round. Um, But he was shunted out of Alabama, went to Tennessee where he played behind Jalen Hurd, who was six foot four and his coach didn't seem to want to move Hurd to wide receiver. So he came into the NFL with something I think it was something along the lines of about hundred carries he's had in he had in college. Came into the NFL and straight away was like a Pro Bowl caliber running back. Um, and that's the thing that coaches have to try and figure out is if a guy isn't productive in college, is it because of things that aren't necessarily his fault, or vice versa, is a guy only successful because he's put in a position whereby you know he's had really good run blocking in front of him and things like that.
2: That, that was the exact same thing with Josh Jacobs last season as well, coming out of Alabama. He wasn't the featured back for Nick Saban, yet he's the guy that goes goes first in the draft because of the, the, the of scouting that went into him from the Raiders.
1: So guys, in terms of... Picks. Is there, is there anybody else you think that might sneak through the cracks and turn out to be one of these players that will live by proving people wrong that he was taking, you know, yeah. so far down? The guy I think, so, and I
3: think Ian likes this guy as well, there's a there's a guard from Fresno State called Natani Muti, um, who is a phenomenal run blocker, uh, but the last couple of years he has only played, I think he's played just over 300 snaps the last two years because he's been injured. Um, had a really good year in 2017, basically hasn't played the last couple of years. And this draft more than any other, when teams can't really get the opportunity to check and recheck medicals, you know, a guy who he's a guard, so he was probably not going to be a first round pick, but realistically could have seen his name called in the second round. There's now a very good chance that he winds up slipping into the fourth, maybe even the fifth round. Um, And based on what we saw in college, if he is healthy enough in the NFL, genuinely could be
1: like a decade long starter. It's fascinating. Ian, have you got any name that you want us to watch for in this draft?
2: Yeah, well, one of the guys that's quite intriguing for me is a uh, linebacker at Mississippi State, Willie Gay Jr., um, who is prototypical, uh, uh, essentially, as a middle linebacker, 6'1", 243", plays a lot like uh, Patrick Willis, who I think also was from Mississippi State. But uh, Willie's a bit of a head case. He's had uh, <laughs> qu- quite quite a few issues, quite a few suspensions. Um, so it'll be quite interesting to see how much of that was just from being boisterous as a player in college football or whether he does have some sort of personality issue but if he he screws his head on you're looking at a guy that's coming in that could be a a starting calibre middle linebacker in the NFL and he could be going in the 4th or 5th round depending on how wary teams are of him
1: so I, I presume Cameron's just been ravaged by a mad dog, so we'll give him a moment <laughs> or two to, to, to recover. Guys, that that, that might be your, your sort of pick of the draft in terms of, you know, who might fall but be a bargain. We're going to go more into the first round, as I said, with, with the other guys later in the week, but is there anybody, Gordon and Ian, that you think, Gordon, first of all, that that is, you'd be overpaying for that is hyped to go early? Yeah, I think so the interesting
3: player along the offensive line everyone loves Mackay becton because he's huge as I think ian said earlier six foot seven 360 pounds um at pff we're really quite wary of him because one of the things that we've been able to to quantify over the last couple of years is what we call true pass sets um and for a pass blocker that means any pass blocking attempt where there's not play action, um, it's not like a, a three-step drop and quick screen pass by the quarterback and all those things. And all of the top tackles in the draft class, Becton's the only one who faced a terrifyingly short sample size of true pass sets. So all the measurables and whatnot are there from him and you can watch him on film and there's some you know, eye-pop eye and run blocks. But if you need a left tackle in the NFL who can... Uh, you know, really be that guy who protects your quarterback for the next decade, there just hasn't been enough of what you're going to ask him to do in the NFL seen from him in college because of the scheme Louisville have run. So I think in a class where guys like Tristan Wirth, Andrew Thomas, even a guy like Josh Jones at Houston are fairly well-established good pass blockers, I think someone, possibly even the Giants at four, are going to pay a little bit too much for Becton. And Ian, who do you, you think is going to
1: overspend?
2: It could well be if if somebody decides they they, they want to trade up in the first round and, and take Jordan Love if there's been a run in quarterbacks if Burrows, Tua, and Justin Herbert goes, Jordan Love's got a lot of um, ability. He's got he's kind of prototype what you want, but he's been quite frustratingly inconsistent this season. And he could he could be a, a player with bust written all over him. You take a quarterback in the first round and you don't hit on him, then your job's in trouble.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a fair point. As you see, and the guys have mentioned that that, that there are, you know, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston are also floating about. But Cameron, it's not a disaster for some players if they're not drafted at all because you then go into a sort of bigger free agency pool. So just look at the Scottish Hammer, Jamie Gillen. You know, there was some talk that he might have been drafted in the round seven in the end. He was signed as a free agent and uh, did pretty well for Cleveland in the end.
0: Uh, definitely. And I think it's something to even watch. Uh, for people that go into the depth of the boards and, and start to talk about the sixth, seventh round picks, you do see a, a bunch of guys who inevitably fall off at the bottom. And they're very quickly snapped up. Again, I'll be really intrigued to see how that works this year because obviously they tend to go in and spend time with teams almost almost right away. Uh, Certainly it's not a huge amount of time they have to wait to spend with their teams, whereas we don't know when that's going to happen at the moment. So I wonder what the scenario will be whether teams are taking as many, whether they're taking more, whether it's uh, a little bit more cutthroat in this sense. so And then that's where it gets really interesting for players like Jameis Winston, Cam Newton, and a plethora of guys who've still to find their team, uh, guys that have been released. Uh, and even, you know, today...
2: Clowney. Well, absolutely.
0: Clowney's still there. So at least you know with Clowney, he's going to cost you money, but you know what you're going to get... So if you've got the, the salary cap there and you've got the money to be able to maneuver around and pick that player up, then is that something that you look to do? Do you possibly try and get more picks, give away a player of value in the hope that you can pick up a clowny as well as a couple of young guys in there? There's there's so many scenarios here. And this is it's very different landscape and very different scenarios in which these teams are working. I'm intrigued to see even how the teams cope with being remote and being online. Now, we've had issues ourselves just trying to record a podcast from time to time as the audio dips in and out. Um, so let's hope that none of these guys lose their internet connection at a key point. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um,
1: so Well, it's interesting you say that, Cameron, because there was a tweet earlier on by NFL insider Adam Scheffner, which said, text from a participant on the NFL's mock draft that started at one o'clock Eastern today. Mock draft today, already technical glitch with Cincinnati's first-round pick. <laughs> <laughs> so so we'll, we'll, we'll see if that's going to be the case. Can I tell you, though, that the draft, oh, I think, can, has, al- has already I- been won... Just one second Ian. Bud Light Seltzer have tweeted today, the NFL draft will be without an important tradition, and we can't let that stand. Please record your booze, then post and tag Bud Light and Boo the Commish. We'll deliver the booze to the draft and therefore for each time Boo the Commish comes up, when Roger comes up, we'll we'll supply the booze for you. Nice work there by Bud Light Seltzer. (laughs)
2: One of the one of the things to touch on what um Cameron was talking there about the free agents um after the draft. It comes to a point where you, you get to the bottom of the sticks, start the sevens where players and more importantly their agents don't want the players to be drafted because they would actually get more money as a high priority free agent than they would uh, signing as a six or seven round uh, draft pick because of the signing bonus they could get, which is a, a kind of weird kind of scenario to be in, not to want to be drafted.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting. So, guys, final question for now. Who's actually staying up and watching the draft? Well, I don't have any choice because i have to work through it. So uh, I'm going to have thursday night
3: friday night uh probably getting to bed about four or five a.m uh and then saturday night up right the way through the seventh round i'm gonna have to be at my computer so i mean if i'm being honest i would watch
0: it anyway but uh, i don't have any
1: excuse to not oh, that's fine we'll be able to watch that you plenty of abuse cameron
0: Yeah, I'll be up for that one, it falls, so Thursday's my birthday, Um, although the draft doesn't start until Friday, uh, I'm using that as my birthday celebration, a reason to stay up, Um, and anyone that heard our last episode with JJ Zachariasen, who of course works for FanDuel, I work for FanDuel as well, and thus I was able to reach out to JJ uh, and get him on board, he's a colleague, which is nice to say, but that means that I can do an American Day on the Friday, which is really handy, because the project I'm working on involves a lot of folk based
1: in America. So it's worked out nicely. So a shameless plug for your birthday and a name drop. Well well, well done. I, th- I think it was, I'm trying to think, yeah, it was Donald Trump who said to me, never name drop, Paul. It's not a good thing. Ian, are you staying up to watch this? Um,
2: there's, there's a good chance of it. Um, the first round, at least, maybe not so much into the second and third. They really should make it more... Um, user-friendly for people in Europe having the draft on so late it's, it's just very inconsiderate in my opinion
3: it used to be so much better because they used to do you remember when it used to be like it kicked off at noon eastern time which meant like 5 p.m our time on a Saturday which was just perfect vegging on the couch um you know order a takeaway sit and watch the draft and it went on for like seven hours now I love that they've put it into prime time because you know, it's like a nice four hour thing and there's more pageantry
0: with it. But it's just it's such an inconvenient time for us. Is it going to be four hours this year? This is my question. Is this different setup going to drag it out to its absolute maximum? Um, because I'm sure if every team took their fully allotted time, we'd be looking at a lot more than four hours.
1: I think, I think though, I think it'll be relatively quick. I mean, it's certainly going to be interesting to see exactly how it all gets done. It's going to be interesting to see who's got the nicest basement. Um, so we'll, we'll certainly see. I mean, San Francisco. I think John Lynch tweeted out he's already been kitted out. He's got the three phone lines, four or five computer screens. So they'll be leaving nothing to chance, gentlemen. Thanks for the draft chat. A little bit of news before we go. And Cameron, the the Jaguars are having a little fight. Are they not? So if you look at
0: NFL.com at the moment, um, and we're recording this on Monday night, uh, three of the top nine stories are about the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, getting rid of players on all fronts or not, as the case may be. Uh, Yannick Ngokwe, apparently, Gordon, you were telling us just as you came on, been having a little bit of a bun fight with uh, Tony Khan.
3: Yeah, and unless Tony Khan is trying to set up some form of wrestling match for his promotion with Yannick Ngakwe, it appears that uh, Ngakwe is taken to tweeting him. Um, there's been someone calling someone a clown uh it's all got very unsavory and it looks like one i mean for ngakwe if you're trying to get traded out of there you're probably just driving your trade value down which is going to make it harder for them to trade you and two if you're the owner's son um, who has a fairly prominent role in a good few enterprises there it's probably not a good idea to be tweeting angrily back at a player
1: yeah, it doesn't strike you as the most clever thing in the world. Right, we've had another uniform redesign this time. The Patriots of New England have found out what epaulettes are, it would appear, and plastered them on their kit. Cameron, I'm not sure you're impressed.
0: No, not impressed. Um think they're pretty howfin'. Um, I think that if it weren't for the shoulders, I think they would be okay. I don't get what they've done with the shoulders. They've basically cut off old Brown's shoulders, Uh, sleeves sorry changed the color and slapped them on their shoulder they've also got this weird thick line on their on their trousers that i don't understand massive big white line and then a thin red line and yeah not a fan i think they're they've tried too hard with these since we've uh, spoken actually the browns have released theirs i don't think have we spoken about the browns ones. I don't think we did, but the Browns ones are lovely. I think they're really nice. They've gone back to real classic look. It's not massively different, but I think it's different enough that they look really great. Patriots, nah, it's a thumbs down for me.
1: So I think Gordon might like them. So Ian, you'll be the casting vote in a moment. Gordon, do you wish to speak in defence of our friends in New England? I mean, all I'll say is, like the Browns jerseys, they're fine. They're they're not
3: <laughs> they are not the weird faded you know black to red atlanta falcons jersey they're an nfl jersey they're fine they're not bad they're not good
1: ian casting vote
2: i, I really couldn't care less <laughs> <laughs> Just <Jeez, whatever. laughs>
1: so that's thank the, exactly the right thank answer to dundee there for their vote uh, Ian, we'll give you 24 hours if you want to reconsider, mate. You can get in touch with us at the SPFL at any time. Uh, gents, any other stories before we take our leave that have caught your eye in the last couple of days?
2: One thing that um, one thing that's quite interesting talking about uh, Nogokwe is the team that he's been uh, tweeting to to try and draft them has been the Eagles. He's been uh, tweeting quite a lot of pictures of the defence from the early 90s. And if you're sitting there at 21 and... The three wide receivers are off the board that you want. Would you give up a first round pick number twenty one for a player like Nick Maybe, okay. but it's also um, Jamal Adams of the New York Jets. He could be somebody that could be traded on draft day as well. He's he's a really good player, um, and you, you could give you could see somebody giving up a a low first round pick if if the board doesn't run the way that you want it to. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Eagles,
3: if, if you're looking at one of those players for 21, I wouldn't give up 21 for Ngakwe just because you're going to have to pay him. Um, he's been good, not great. And you could go and sign a guy like Clowney without you know having to um, give up draft capital. But I'd absolutely trade 21 for Jamal Adams.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. There's so many moves that are going to happen. And uh, definitely looking forward, Cameron, to seeing live action, even if it's just people being picked.
0: Absolutely. Just seeing names being spoken out loud by GMs you don't recognize on the other end of a Zoom call. I cannot wait. And I'd also just like to add what the guys were saying there. Um, If the New York Jets would be interested in the 31st pick overall, uh, we would happily take Jamal Adams in San Francisco. Um, You know, obviously, he's still on his rookie contract, I think. So, you know, he's still got a wee bit time on that, which is great, and then he can just take over from Richard Sherman when Sherman retires, so uh, I'd like to be the first person to welcome Jamal to the, the Bay Area. Welcome,
1: Jamal. <laughs> 97 <laughs> episodes, you always get it round to to the 49ers at the end.
0: Yes, absolutely. But no, it'll be great. Listen, the, I'm, I'm super excited about the draft. Um, I think that it's it's something that I look forward to every single year. Um, it's great Researching these guys and watching them play against absolute nobodies <laughs> in some of the weird games where they absolutely go off on one, you think, wow, he looks like a player. And then you realise that he's up against the 149th ranked team in the first division. Um but it's it's an exciting night. Uh, there's so much unfolds. And then it feels like after the draft, that's when the football season chat starts. Now, we've got loads of conversations still to be had about when that will happen. But let's forget that for now. That's for another day. We could just look forward with our new pieces in place and hopefully anticipate an exciting 2020 season.
1: Amen to that. Thank you to everybody for joining us. That is it for episode number 97 of the NFL Scotland podcast.
0: Yep, thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter at Scotland NFL and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland.
1: We're growing all the time, but need your help to keep that up. We appreciate every retweet and share. If you've got time, and let's face it, who doesn't at the moment, pop onto iTunes, give us a review, a five-star one. would be very nice.
0: As we've mentioned on this one, we've got another pre-draft pod lined up for later in the week, so we'll be back soon to talk more speculation at the top end of the board. Remember as well to sign up for our Predict Pick competition on NFL.com and search for our NFL Scotland podcast group.
1: Thank you to Ian and Gordon for in-depth thoughts and analysis. Thank you to you for listening and for taking the time to share your thoughts with us here on the NFL Scotland podcast. We'll be back very soon indeed. But until then, bye for now.